So let's take our Bibles and turn it to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 from verse 5, and we'll read the whole section together, and but we'll only look at verses 5 to 7 this afternoon. Ephesians 6 from verse 5. This is the reading of God's word. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your precious word that you've given to us. Lord, um, your word, you want to accomplish something in our hearts through your word, the seed that is sown. We know the devil wants to rob us of this word and distract us away from this word so that the seed would not fall on fertile ground and bear fruit. Oh Lord, we ask that you would incline our hearts now to your word, to understand it, but above all, Lord, to do it, to obey it. So, Father, come and help us, Lord. And we pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Beloved, we have a big problem in our day when it comes to our day-to-day work. And it is this notion, this idea, that we are only serving the Lord, we are only doing something in worship when we are reading our Bibles, when we are praying, or when we're coming to church. But the rest of our lives, that the rest of our ordinary mundane lives, our studies, cooking a meal, washing the dishes, working in the garden, teaching a class, treating a a patient, designing a building, all these things are just the ordinary worldly things we just have to do to make a living. But beloved, there's nothing further from the truth than that for the Christian. Under the Old Covenant, remember, there was a strong divide um, between the ordinary life and a holy life. The temple was where the presence of God dwelt. Only the priests could enter it, and only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. For the rest, there was no access. If you did try and access the holy place or the Holy of Holies, you died. So there was a strong line between the presence of God and ordinary life, right? Only through sacrifice could we ever approach the presence of God. But when Christ came, he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He brought heaven to earth. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And remember what happened on that cross. After he died on the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple? The curtain was torn from top to bottom. What was the symbolism there? Now there's access. Wherever we are, whatever we do, we have direct access to the Father through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, what is called the temple of God? 
according to the new covenant. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, or do you not know that what? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. Last time I checked, you take your body wherever you go. Have you noticed that? It's like a, it's like a thing we just can't stop doing. In other words, everywhere we go, everything we do, we take the temple of God with us because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Now, do you see how that changes the way we think of our ordinary lives and our work? God is with you, what you do and whatever you are doing. Everything you do is to be a sacrifice of praise to God, an act of worship in whatever we are doing. Right? Scripture says whether we eat or drink or Whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So Jesus doesn't just want to redeem you from your sins. He wants to redeem your Mondays. He wants to redeem your work, the way you work, how you think about your work. He wants to come in and change the way you think about that and help you live and work like a Christian. Jesus doesn't just want your worship on Sunday in song. He wants your worship while you're changing the diapers. He wants your worship while you are studying for the exams. He wants your worship when you're responding to emails. Right? In whatever we do, we have to do these things for the glory of God. And this text before us, in a very surprising way, will do that by elevating you to who you truly are. Show you who you are in Christ and to whom you truly belong. And that should change the way you think about your work. Look to whom Paul is writing again in verse 5. Just the first word. Bond servants. Greek there is doulos. We can also translate that as slaves. Now last week we answered the question, does God endorse slavery in the Bible? But we're not going to repeat everything we said there. But just in summary form, remember that there's a massive difference between the slavery in the Bible and the slavery that we tend to think about. We have the same word but different dictionaries. But the slavery here, the Bible doesn't come to the slaves in this context and change it from the outside in. The Bible comes in and plants the seed that changes the slavery from the inside out, the way we think about people. Like, and, and it's verses like Philemon and 1 Corinthians 7 that inspired people like William Wilberforce that stood against the despicable slave trader we saw. But the Bible still comes and gives a word to slaves, a word to people that might feel trapped in their circumstances and what they have to do on a daily basis. And the main point of this text is just to see how Jesus infiltrates everything in our workplace. Notice the little word as, as we read through verses 5 and 7. Look at the words as. It says, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Look at verse 6. Not by the way of our service, as people please us, but as bondservants of Christ. Look at verse 7, rendering serve with the goodwill as to the Lord. Do you see the point? Work, do, think, everything you do as to the Lord, to him, not to your earthly master, your earthly boss, or for any other human being, ultimately, ultimately do everything you do for your heavenly master. You see, you have an earthly master, you have an earthly boss, an earthly employer, but See above that person. Look above and see your heavenly master and do what you do for him. You see, so this text comes to us, helps us as workers with our heart, 
our hands and our minds. That will be our outline as well. This text wants to change the way our attitudes, our hearts, the way we work, our hands, and then lastly, our minds, motivating us to think differently about our work so that we can work as for the Lord. So this afternoon, we're only going to look at the heart and the hands and so that you have to come back next Sunday and listen to the mind. Okay, so I'm leaving you hanging. So for one week, you are going to be frustrated. But then come back and find the mind. <laughs> okay, but let's begin with the heart. The heart, what should be our heart in our working? The focus of this text is not so much on what you do, but how you do it. Your heart, your attitude. And not just what or how you do it, but specifically your attitude towards a person, your boss, your employer. This is a text about a relationship. Notice the command of verse 5 again. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. That's the overarching command of this whole text. Obey, respect, submit, listen. If there's authority over you in the workplace, submit to that authority and do what the person tells you. Now, most people do that. Most people okay, have an essential basic attitude of, okay, if you tell me that, I'm going to do that. But that's where the real challenge comes in because it's not just a thing like obeying. It comes to the heart, the attitude And I see at least four attitudes, four heart attitudes in this text that we have to cultivate as Christians towards our boss, towards our employer. The first one, the first attitude you need to have is weighty respect. So don't just obey, but obey in a specific way. Look at the rest of verse 5 again. It says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, I don't think this means to be scared of your boss. Why not? Well, the rest of the Bible tells us what about fear. There's many verses that tell us we shouldn't be scared of people. Matthew 10, 28 as an example. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't be scared of those who can do physical harm. Rather fear God, him who can destroy both soul and, and body in hell. Remember 2 Timothy 1, 7. Um, God did not give us What? A spirit of fear. The Greek words here are interesting. It's the word for coward, cowardly, to be cowardly, to want to flee away from someone or something. That's not the kind of fear we have to have for our earthly masters. So what, then, what does it then mean when Paul says, obey with fear and trembling? What does that then mean? Well, like any good Bible study, what should you do if you don't know what the answer is? Just read on. Okay, look at the rest of the verse in verse 5. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So there's the key. How do we obey with fear and trembling? With the same fear and trembling you have for the Lord. Now think of that fear and trembling. Are we scared of the Lord Jesus? No. Why not? We're not scared of him in the sense that we are fleeing and running away from him. Right? We, we fear him because he has authority. He has the authority to judge. But our fear of him is mixed with love. Our fear of him is mixed with trust. Think of Philippians 2.12, another, another phrase where the phrase, another place where fear and trembling comes, comes, comes up. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the idea there is the exact same as the text we have here. Don't take your salvation lightly. Don't treat it as something you can just throw away. You don't have to really think about it. No, 
Work out your salvation with seriousness, fear and trembling. So another way to explain this fear and trembling is to think of what would be the opposite of fear and trembling. What would be the opposite attitude of, of someone that has fear and trembling for their boss or their employer? And it's simply this. The opposite of this would be lightly. Treating your boss, your employer with no reverence, no respect, as if you can think and talk about that person in any way you choose. That's the opposite. So the idea here is Treat your employer, treat your boss with weighty respect. Weighty respect. Now, if I was a mind reader, I think some of you might be thinking the following, but how do I do this with a boss that's not respectable? How do I do this with a boss that is unfair, unjust, that is treating me like garbage? And how can I obey these verses? Should I even obey these verses anymore? Well, the Bible answers that question for us, so I don't have to do any hard work here. <laughs> 1 Peter 2 verse 18. It's a lengthier passage, but here Peter talks directly to people who have bosses and masters that are not good. Listen to what he says. Servants, the same word, doulos, be subject to your masters with all respect. Okay, that's the same as what we just read. But not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now look at this beautiful example. It says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Think of Jesus. His example is beautiful. He committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ is our example how to endure unjust treatment. Think of if there's anyone that was treated unjustly, it's the Lord Jesus. He had no sin, right? Sometimes we have sin. Sometimes we are treated unfairly because of our sin. But with Jesus, there wasn't even a speck of sin. But that, that, what he endured was the most horrific example of injustice imaginable. The perfect man, when he was reviled, he did not revile. He did not return evil for evil. But he, the key is he entrusted his soul to him who judges justly. That's how he dealt with it. Beloved, that's the key. If you might be in a situation where your boss or your employer is, is unjust, unfair, this is what you need to do. Faith in God's character. Faith in God's promises. What is your God like, beloved? What is he like? Is he not the judge, the judge of the universe? Will he not bring justice for you? He sees the injustice that's happening in your life and, and against you. He knows. He's there. So you can let your case rest at the throne of judgment. You can let go of vengeance. So the key thing here to remember is don't repay evil for evil. Don't take vengeance. Leave room for the wrath of God and trust him and endure patiently. Now, just to clarify, I don't think this means that you just... If they are, you, you cannot take legitimate steps against injustice in the workplace. I think if there's legitimate steps to take, you should take that to try to expose the injustice. Um, as an example, remember what happened with Paul before he was flogged. 
right? And what did he appeal? He appealed, he says, is it right for a Roman citizen to be flogged without a hearing, right? Now, that was an injustice against Paul, but he kind of stood on his Roman citizenship and his rights to escape that injustice. And I think that's the same thing for us. If there's a legitimate way for you to take, to try to expose the injustice in the workplace, do it. But do it with the right heart. Remember, we're talking about the heart here. The heart here must be one of submission, one of respect. The heart here must be to expose the injustice so that other people won't get hurt through this. So that's the first thing you have to have as an employee, as a worker, is have a weighty respect for those who are over you. But secondly, the second attitude of our heart should be a singleness of heart. We should have a singleness of heart towards our employer and to our our work. Look at verse 5 again. It says, with fear and trembling, obey also with a sincere heart. Now the word sincere is literally the word single. Single, undivided. I love that. Your heart is not divided or in two against your boss. You're not pretending to, to be nice and friendly in front of him and then behind his back you gossip and you dishonor him be, um, behind the back. You have a single heart towards him. That's the idea. You don't pretend to be working and enjoying and then when he leaves, now your heart is doubled and split and you're like good riddance kind of a thing, right? So the main sin that is here rebuked is the sin of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy. That's the main thing you and I should be careful of here. When your heart is in two, you are a hypocrite. You're wearing a mask in front and you take the mask off. No, you have to be the same in front and in private. I think this heart attitude of having a single mind towards your employer will also spill over in the way you work. To have a single mind on your work. Now, this is where it gets difficult because we're living in an age of distraction. I think the biggest way we steal from our employers is not by physically taking things, but stealing by not working. Stealing time from our employers. We are paid for a certain amount of hours, and instead of working, we are either lazily standing at the water, the cooler, you know, (laughs) or quickly doing that that quick game you want to play and things like that, right? Or doing something else in your work time instead of working. That's a form of stealing. But here's the most common way, I think, and I, and I just want to say this is just as much for me as for all of you. So I, I haven't mastered this, but I do believe this is what we need to think about. Our smartphones is one of the biggest obstacles to work with a single mind. Now think of what happens, right? You want to start working, you are ready to open your laptop or to start studying, and suddenly you hear that irresistible sound. Ping. What happens, right? Dopamine is released in your brain. I wonder, I wonder who's that? Pick it up, read. Oh, just those nasty, those groups that just keeps on spamming me with all these things. And oh, I see I have a few notifications on Facebook. Let me go there. And before you know it, it's a rabbit hole. And 10, 15, 20 minutes pass. Like, and you snap out of it. Like, oh, yes, I was busy with this. And then ping. And the thing happens again. Now, yesterday, um, we had, I had a few brothers over at my place. And we all had iPhones, which is a bad thing to have. Because all of our iPhones notification sound is exactly the same. So it was very funny. Like only one of us got a message, a WhatsApp message, and all three of us were scramming for our phones. Like looking at like, oh, it's his phone, (laughs) you know. Now that just illustrates something I think we have to be careful of when it comes to our work. When we have a single mind towards our employer and our work, 
When we work, we have to work. We have to have a singleness of mind. This is all I'm going to do now. So perhaps the easiest thing to do is just to switch your phone on silent, just to create the space to just be focused. We waste so much time by allowing all of the, let's be honest, it's distractions, but it's a very welcome distraction. We like it. So we have to put that off and say, no, my heart is single on my work and on my employer. I'm going to work hard and do that. So let's honor our God with our work, with weighty respect towards our employer and with a singleness of heart towards him and our work. But thirdly, we also have to have the heart of joyful service, having joy in our work. Notice how prominent the heart is in our text. So not just the words as, but look at the words from our hearts. Okay, look at verse 5 again. It says, with a sincere heart. Verse 6, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God. Where? From where? From our soul. From our heart. Look at verse 7. Rendering service with the good will. You see, all of those things, our heart, our souls, our will, has to be in our work. When you see someone working very hard, you can almost look at that person and say, wow, that person just working out of the soul. His heart is in his work. That's the idea here, right? We, when we do something out of our hearts, out of our souls, we should do it with passion, do it with enthusiasm. The heart in the Bible, remember, the heart is not just your emotions. Your heart is the, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, all of, all of the inner man. Your heart must be in, in your work. So especially Christians should appreciate to be working hard. Right? We should enjoy, our focus must be dedicated with that. So we don't share the common hatred of work. The world hates work because the world is lazy. And we have a bit of laziness in all of us. Let's be honest. Okay? But I love this quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, a lazy man would not even be happy in paradise. Do you know why? Because in paradise, people were working. Before there was sin, the perfect man was a working man. Work itself is good. But it's the thorns and the thistles and the frustrations and escom and load shedding and that makes our work a groan and a grumbling. But it's not work itself. So Christians have this heart. We have this attitude of, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to work. I get to work. I get to go to work. We are thankful for work. Whatever work you do, right? And this applies, by the way, even if you're retired and you're not working for an income, you still have things to do. You still have work to do. Do that from the soul. Now, I don't mean by, you know, working from the heart and enjoying your work that you should always enjoy everything you do. So let me clarify that distinction. You can do something you don't enjoy, but still with joy. So sometimes things are not enjoyable, like changing a diaper, especially a, a three, you have different levels, like a three wet wipe diaper or five wet wipe diaper. Like that's level five, level six, okay? Now, you don't always necessarily enjoy that, but you, sorry, I'm like that mind, but you can still do that as to the Lord. That's the idea here. You do that, Lord, just thank you that I can be able to do this and that I can work. Here's one verse to summarize the attitude of with joy. Philippians 2 verse 14. This verse should be on all of our co coffee mugs, I think. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay. Guilty. Guilty. 
That's the, but that's the standard, right? We should do everything we do without complaining, without grumbling. Change the diapers without grumbling. We're changing a lot of diapers in our homes. So that's just very relevant to me. Do your studies without grumbling. Do you see how this, just put in everything, anything you do in the week, do that without grumbling. That's what it looks like. Joy and thanksgiving is essential as we worship our God in our work. And the last heart attitude is this. Also, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Again, those three as is what we've seen. As you would Christ. As bondservants of Christ. As to the Lord and not to man. I think this is the key to the secret. So this can like be part of the mind as well. The Lord gave you your job. The thing you have to do on a daily basis is from the Lord. He is your real boss, your real master. Your boss isn't ultimate. The person you are doing the things for isn't the ultimate person. You don't ultimately have to do that for them. Our eyes look above our boss, behind our boss, and see the Lord, the King, the King of kings, the boss of bosses. And we say, I do this for him. John Stott brought this out beautifully. Listen to how he wrote it. He says, It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. Imagine you had to cook and think, the Lord Jesus is going to eat this meal afterwards. That's how we should. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, nurses to care for them, solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books and secretaries to type letters, as if in each case they were serving Jesus. That's the idea when we say, as to the Lord and not to man. So it doesn't matter if you're a housewife or an engineer. What are your daily tasks? What are your daily duties? And how would you do those tasks and those duties if at the end of the day, the Lord Jesus would directly benefit from that? How would you do that? That is our heart. That is our attitude in our work. So now let's consider, secondly, the hands. So that's the heart in our work. But now let's just make one big point about the hands. Okay? Now, you've seen how it's almost impossible now to separate the heart from the hands. If, if those four attitudes are in your heart, I can almost just say amen and we can go home. But because this will just be natural. When you have the heart of weighty respect for your employer, if you have the heart of singleness of mind, if you have the heart of serving with joy and doing it as to the Lord, there will be one thing that all of your work will be characterized by, and that is hard work. That will be the essential work ethic you will have, working hard. But that's why we have to start with the, with the heart. If we have these hearts, this will be the natural outflow. And we see this working heart primarily in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. It says, We serve or we obey not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. This is such a practical verse. Those who serve by way of eye service only work when eyes are upon them. When people see them, when the boss, you know, like you can picture this in your mind, right? The office job, that when the boss suddenly comes in, suddenly the office looks like a bunch of ants that has found a, a pizza slice, right? And they're just, everybody is scattering and working. And when the boss leaves, suddenly the office looks like a, bun, a bunch of sloths on vacation. 
Right? You know what I mean? Or another illustration, when the gym instructor is telling everybody to do push-ups, up, down, up, down. And the moment he turns his back, the one half of the push-up side just lay down flat, right? They just, and when he turns around, suddenly the, <laughs> the people are moving up and down again. Now, that's just an illustration. But we as believers, we as Christians, don't share that common sloth of unbelievers because of one simple fact. The eyes of our heavenly master is always upon us. So we don't serve by way of eye service because there's someone else who's always there. There's our heavenly master always sees us, whether in public or in private. You see how that just changes the way you would do your work as well. As we have said, he's not just with us in our quiet times. He's not just with us when we worship together. He's with us everywhere. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everything you now do is worship to him, should be worship to him. So we're not people pleasers, but we are Christ pleasers. We want to please the Lord Jesus because he is our king. We are his slaves. That's at the right at the middle of verse 6 again. We serve not as eye service, servants, but as bond servants of Christ. We belong to Christ. We are his slave, and we have been bought with a price. We belong to him because he bought us with his own blood. So don't just go to work and you know, just think that if you just work hard and if you just focus on your work, that that's somehow now not spiritual, not Yet you're somehow wasting time. Now, again, this is a very big temptation for us as believers is we think that somehow if I'm not actively evangelizing someone, if I'm not actively praying, actively reading my Bible, I'm just wasting time, spiritually speaking. Shouldn't we just do more holy things, right, than these common daily things? But Scripture shows us that to simply work hard adds to our evangelism. It adds to our gospel message. Listen to Titus 2. Titus 2, verse 9 to 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Listen to the result. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What happens when we are just excellent workers? You beautify the gospel. You adorn the gospel. Don't you want your doctrine, what you believe about the Lord Jesus, the gospel, salvation, to be beautiful to other people? Right? Then the answer is work hard. If you want your gospel to have a punch, then work in such a way that when other people see you and hear you, they say, well, one thing I can't deny is that this is real for you. There's a story of a woman called Jane de Estere. Um, I'll ask uh, Janet after if the French is right or not. <laughs> okay. I think it's French. I don't know. But anyway, she, this woman, was on the brink of suicide. And listen to this. I'm quoting. She was gazing into the dark depths of the river. But for some reason, however, she looked up and saw a young plowman setting to work in a field on the other bank of the river. He was about her age, but quite oblivious to her and to anything but his work. It's all he was doing was working, focusing on his work. Meticulous, absorbed, skilled. He displayed such a pride in his work that the newly turned furrows looked as finely executed as the paint strokes on an artist's canvas. Despite herself, Jane Lucretia was fascinated 
Slowly, she was drawn into the plowman's pride until admiration turned into wonder and wonder into rebuke. What was she doing collapsing into self-pity? How could she be so wrapped up in herself when two small children were dependent on her? Rebuked and braced, she got up, returned to Dublin, and resumed life. Now listen to this next part. It's so beautiful. Saved from suicide and reinvigorated for life, by the sight of work well done, end quote. And shortly after that, she became a Christian as well. So a man just working hard rebuked her, saved her by just the sight of work well done. And beloved, that's what our work should be looking like. It should be so attractive, the way we work. Our hearts must be in it. We must be absorbed in our work. And then as we do that, as our lives give off the fragrance of Christ, let us also complement that with words. Let us then share the reason why we're different, the reason why we are working like we are working, that people might hear the message of life. How will they be saved until they hear? How will they hear until we tell them? You see, so it's not just your life. It's not just the gospel. It's both. It's as we live As we speak. Now perhaps you might be a person here this afternoon and you are a hard worker. You are a person that just works, works, works. You're almost on the other extreme, the workaholic that worships work. But you will notice something that even as you work and work and work, as you maybe get the promotion, as you get the degree, degree, as you're climbing the corporate ladder, you will notice something that it just doesn't make you happy. It leaves you unsatisfied, feeling empty. Well, it's because you are missing the most important part of work, the as to the Lord. You don't know the Lord. Do you know him? Have you come to Christ as the source of all joy, all meaning of life? Do you know him? And then are you now working for him, loving him because he first loved us? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much, Lord, for your your grace, your word, Lord. And Lord, we need your word to teach us, to save us, not just from our sins, but from our Mondays and from our daily work, Lord, that we would do these things with the right heart, the right attitude, and the right zeal and discipline and diligence. Father, please forgive us for our hypocrisy. Please forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us for having a disrespectful attitude towards our employers and those above us in authority. Lord, we want to work in such a way that the gospel is adorned, that your that the truth is beautified with our lives. So Father, in this week to come, Lord, I pray that you would give us willing hands and willing hearts to do our ordinary lives as for you in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.